Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the CNN Election Center. Joining me now is Senator Bernie Sanders, who is in Salt Lake City, Utah, campaigning tonight. Senator Sanders, thanks very much for being with us. You skipped uh, the APAC meeting today because of campaigning out west. Is there any message people should read into that? Are you sending a message in any way? No. In fact, we just did a press conference uh, and gave a speech right here in Salt Lake City on the Middle East and on Israel, pretty much the speech that I would have given to APAC if I had been able to attend uh, their conference. I wanted to be there. It was simply a question of scheduling. You've said that the U.S. should be even-handed when it comes to dealing with the Israelis and the Palestinians. So does that mean that the U.S. should remain neutral to achieve peace? No. What it means is that if we want lasting peace uh, in the Middle East, we have got to obviously make sure that the security uh, and the independence of Israel remains intact. Uh, that is not a debate. Israel must continue to exist as an independent free state. But if we are going to have lasting peace, we have also got to work with the Palestinians. And what that means, we have got to recognize that for in Gaza, for example, in Gaza, you got an unemployment rate of 44%. You got people living in horrific poverty. You have a community that was destroyed. So if we are going to go forward, it cannot be that the United States just takes the side of Israel. We've got to work with both communities to try to do what is very, very difficult, and that is create a lasting peace in the region. Do you think the U.S. has not been even handed up till now? Right. I do not think so. Uh, I think that uh, overwhelmingly uh, the United States time and time again has looked aside when Israel has done some bad things. Uh, I think, for example, that the growth of settlements in Palestinian territory uh, is not acceptable to me and not conducive uh, to the peace process. Uh, I think that the kind of destruction that was racked on, wrecked on, on uh, Gaza uh, during that war was way above what needed to be done for military purposes. A lot of civilians were killed. Uh, a lot of hospitals and, and schools and, and, and apartments were destroyed above and beyond what had to be done. So look, I think there is no question that there's enough blame to go around on both sides. Uh, Israel has the right to defend itself against terrorist attacks, against Hezbollah, against Hamas. But I think the United States is stronger when we work with both sides. Secretary Clinton said that, that she's provide, uh, presided over face-to-face -face meetings between Prime Minister Netanyahu, for instance, and President Abbas, three separate sessions. She says she's had a, a lot of experience, obviously, in this region. Why do you think you would do a better job than a President Clinton? Well, I'll tell you why, because I think I have shown a lot better judgment than she has on foreign policy. Look, she was Secretary of State for four years, and in that capacity, you gain a lot of experience. But in fact, when she was in the Senate, she heard the same evidence that I did from George Bush and Dick Cheney about going into Iraq. 
I not only voted against that war, I helped lead the opposition to that war. And if you go to my website, berniesanders.com, read what I said then back in 2002. Gives me no joy to tell you, Anderson, much of what I predicted would happen in that political vacuum with Saddam Hussein gone, in fact, has happened. Secretary Clinton, then senator, heard the same evidence. She voted for the war. As Secretary of State, she worked very hard, as the New York Times documented, to overthrow Gaddafi in Libya. The results have not been good. Once again, regime change, without thinking about it a whole lot, created a political vacuum. ISIS came in. Secretary Clinton, in a debate that I had with her a month or so ago, she talked about Henry Kissinger praising her achievements. In my view, Henry Kissinger was one of the worst secretaries of state in the modern history of the United States of America. Very destructive policies. So I think Secretary Clinton and I look at foreign policy in very different ways. I am confident that I have the judgment to bring together people to create a foreign policy that works for Israel, that works for the Palestinians, yep. that works for the people throughout this world. Well, one of the things that Secretary Clinton talked about in her APEC speech today is continuing military aid to Israel with the most advanced weapon systems available. You in the past have said your long-term hope is that U.S. policy shifts from more military aid to Israel to more economic aid. The U.S. gave about $3 billion a year in military aid to Israel. Would you continue that military aid, that much military aid? Well, I... I think we've got to do both. I think Israel uh, needs military aid. I can't give you the exact number, but this is what I will also tell you. I want to see the United States providing economic assistance to the region. I want to see the United States working on water issues in the region, which are a major, major problem in many of the Arab countries. I want to see the international community, with the help of Israel, with the help of the United States, rebuilding the devastation in Gaza. At the end of the day, long term, not going to happen tomorrow, I would much prefer to see money going into that region for economic development, schools, health care, infrastructure, rather than just weapons of destruction. But for now, would you continue the same amount of aid that Israel has been getting in terms of military assistance? I can't give you that. I just don't know the answer. It's a lot of money and maybe, but I've got to take a hard look at it and talk to a number of people. Would you? But Israel, let me be clear. Let me be clear. Israel has the right to defend itself, period. Would you recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem? I don't know the answer to that one uh, is as well. I think the status quo, in general, I am sympathetic to what President Obama has done uh, in that area, and I am not happy, for example, uh, with some of the behavior of Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, especially when he went to a joint session of Congress uh, without even notifying President Obama that he was coming. So in general, I think that, you know, President Obama, I know he has been criticized a lot, uh, but I uh, am supportive of many of his uh, efforts in the Middle East. The Hillary Clinton uh, hailed her role in negotiating the Iran nuclear deal. You have said you support the deal. Uh, today you said it doesn't achieve everything you would like. What do you think she and the Obama administration left out, did not get in the deal? Well, this is what I think. I very strongly supported uh, the agreement uh, to make sure that Iran did not get a nuclear weapon. And we have to do everything we can. And if Iran breaks that treaty, we've got to go back to sanctions and every other option remains on the table. But in a general sense, 
uh, when we look at the entire region, I think we have got to understand that it's not just Iran that has been a bad player, and they have been a bad player. They have supported terrorist activity. But you know what? We got to look at the other major country in that region, Saudi Arabia. And if anyone thinks that Saudi Arabia is a model of Jeffersonian democracy, you got another thing coming. They have also in that country put money into terrorist organizations. They are the fourth largest military in the world, Defense Department in the world. And I would rather them playing a constructive role in the fight against ISIS, along, by the way, with Qatar, which is now spending $200 billion for the World Cup in 2022. I want to see those countries yeah. becoming engaged in the war against ISIS rather than Saudi Arabia being in Yemen and Qatar preparing for the World Cup. Right. You've talked in the past about Saudi Arabia and Iran teaming up against ISIS. Hillary Clinton has said, look, that's a non-starter. I mean, that a lot of these countries don't even view ISIS as their primary enemy. Certainly Saudi Arabia views Iran as their as a as a major foe. Well, that's a but Anderson, that is exactly my point. You know, we are allies with Saudi Arabia and it is time that they work with us. In fact, in my view, ISIS is a real threat to Saudi Arabia, but Saudi Arabia in some ways has paid off and bought off some of these terrorist organizations. So how do you force them themselves. to fight? How do you force you them have, to get involved against ISIS? Well, you know, it cannot just be attacks on Iran. Look, it's not that Iran is wonderful. They are involved in terrorist activities. Saudi Arabia is a, monoc a, a monarchy, does not respect women's rights, does not have free elections. There are people in Saudi Arabia who have funded terrorist organizations. That's what our job is, is to try to bring these organizations, these countries together and to say, you know what, the United States of America can't do it all for you. We are not the policemen of the world. Our men and women are not going to be involved in perpetual warfare. You have the fourth largest military in the world in Saudi Arabia. Start using that military in a constructive way. Work with other countries. Listen to King Abdullah of Jordan about the need for the Muslim countries to be on the ground to defeat ISIS. Let me ask you about Cuba. President Obama is obviously in Cuba right now, a historic visit. Uh, as president, would you also make history? Would you invite Raul Castro, if he's still uh, the leader of Cuba, to the White House? I have long believed that we should normalize relations with Cuba in every respect, including doing away with the economic embargo. I think normalized relations would be good for Americans. You know, right now, you can go to Saudi Arabia, it's a monarchy. You can go to China, it's a dictatorship. But for some reason, you can't go to Cuba which, of course, is an authoritarian country. So I think Americans should be able, have the right to go where they want. Second of all, I think for American businesses and jobs in this country, there are investment opportunities in Cuba, which are now being taken advantage of by Canada and Europe. We should take advantage as well. So to answer your question, yes, I want to see us move us forward as quickly as possible to normalize relations with Cuba. I applaud President Obama for his initiatives. So normalized relations for you, that would mean even inviting a leader like Raul Castro to the White House, as other leaders are Well, invited. last I heard, we have invited, we've invited the leaders of Saudi Arabia, we've invited the leaders of China, we've invited the leaders of a whole lot of authoritarian countries to come to the United States. 
I think Cuba should be treated similarly. Uh, I want to follow up to a question you were asked at the debate in Miami uh, recently. Uh, the moderators played a video of you back from way back in 1985 in which you praised Fidel Castro. You said he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed their society. Do you think the Cuban Revolution was good for the people of Cuba? Look, you know, the Cuban Revolution took place, when was it, in 1959? It was a long time ago. What I said, the main point that I made, Anderson, is that I don't think the United States of America should go around overthrowing governments. I think the Bay of Pigs was a disaster. I think the attempt, the overthrow of Salvador Allende in Chile was a disaster. I think the overthrow of the democratically elected president in Guatemala, Jacob Arbenz, was a disaster. I think the overthrow of the democratically elected prime minister in Iran was a disaster. So I don't think the United States has the legal or moral right to go around overthrowing governments. And I think very often those efforts have backfired bringing about a whole lot of instability in regions throughout this country. But as you know, even at that debate, Hillary Clinton went after you uh, for, in her words, essentially praising the regime of Fidel Castro. This is something in a general election would, Look, no, would no doubt be used against you. I'm just you wondering, know, Anderson, do you Anderson, think the revolution let's not get has been into, good? Let's not get into red baiting here. Here is the truth. Everybody knows it. Cuba is a very poor country. Its economy is in very bad shape. It is an authoritarian society. Do I support their economic policies or their political policies? Of course I don't. But you know what else? Cuba produces a lot of physicians in this country. And you know where they go? They go to poor countries around the world doing a lot of good. I wish we had physicians in this country. The number of physicians that we need to go to poor countries around the world. By and large, Cuba's educational system for a poor country is pretty good. When Castro came to power, they did a lot to eliminate illiteracy in that country. So, yes, you know, you don't have to praise everything about Fidel Castro. It's a dictatorship. It's a poor economy. We want changes. But have some good things been done in Cuba? Yes. Should the United States go around overthrowing governments we don't like? I don't think so. Let me ask you about uh, the Supreme Court. You're supporting President Obama's pick for the Supreme Court, Judge uh, Merrick Garland. You've also said you want to nominate someone more progressive if you're president. In your view, in what way does Garland fail that test? Well, I think Garland seems to be, uh, has enormous uh, experience. He's widely uh, respected, clearly a very intelligent man. Uh, but what I have said, uh, Anderson, and you've heard me say it on numerous occasions, I believe that the Supreme Court decision six years ago on Citizens United was one of the worst Supreme Court decisions in the history of our country. And in fact, it is paving the way to undermining American democracy uh, and creating a very corrupt campaign finance system. Uh, I do have a litmus test for a Supreme Court nominee. And that, we, I want, and that is that I want that nominee to be loud and clear in telling the American people that he or she will vote to overturn Citizens United. President Obama said recently at a fundraiser that Democrats' success in November requires the party to come together behind a nominee. You pledged to stay in the race through June to the convention. If Hillary Clinton clinches the nomination before June, are you hurting Democrats' chances of staying in the race by staying in the race? No. Quite the, quite the contrary. Number one, as you know, uh, many of the early states uh, were in the Deep South 
Uh, Secretary Clinton picked up a lot of delegates. She did well there. Now we're moving to another part of the country. Uh, just tomorrow, I'm here in Utah. Uh, there is going to be a caucus here. We think we're going to do well. We think we're going to do well in Idaho. Uh, we think we have a chance. It's going to be tough in Arizona. We got Washington State. I, I spoke yesterday to 35,000 people in Washington State in three separate locations. We think we have an excellent chance to win there. We think we're going to do well in Alaska. We think we're going to do well in Hawaii. We think that once we're on the West Coast, we think we're going to do well in Oregon. We think we're going to do well in California. So to answer your question, number one, I think we have a road, a narrow road, but a road to victory. Number two, it is absurd. It is completely anti-democratic to tell some of the largest states in this country, California, New York State, you should not have a voice in helping to select the Democratic nominee. Number three, Democrats win when the voter turnout is high. Republicans win when it's low. By contesting and having serious debates about the important issues facing this country, getting people involved in the process, we're going to drive up the voter turnout in November, no matter who the nominee is. Number four, virtually every poll that has come out has Bernie Sanders defeating Donald Trump by very large numbers. Last NBC poll had me 19 points ahead of him far more than Secretary Clinton. Here in Utah, of all places, I was 11 points ahead of Trump. She was two points ahead of Trump. A, CB a CBS poll came out today, having her all of five points ahead of me nationally. When we started off, we were 70 points behind. I am not a quitter. We're going to fight this to the last vote. We're going to give every American the chance to decide which candidate they want to be the Demo Democratic nominee uh, in November. You saved me the problem of bringing up Donald Trump since you brought him up. Uh, you recently referred to him as a, as a pathological liar. That's pretty tough words. It, yes. it, pathological is actually no. a word he had used against uh, Ben Carson, who's now endorsing him. Do you think he has some sort of compulsion toward lying? Look, this is not Bernie Sanders. As I'm sure you are aware, there have been a number of publications. Uh, Politico did an article checking what he says. PolitiFact which is a group that, you know, checks on what politicians say. And what they said is overwhelmingly almost everything that he says is not true. He just says things off the top of his head. He saw Muslims in New Jersey, thousands, celebrating the destruction of the Twin Towers on 9-11. It never happened. Time after time, he says things that are just not true. And I think more and more people understand that. That is above and beyond the fact that almost every day he is insulting Latinos and Mexicans, Muslims, women, African-Americans. I mean, there is a reason why this guy will not be elected president of the United States. That type of temperament, that kind of divisiveness which he is engendering, the kind of violence which he is almost encouraging is not what the American people want. In Utah, when I am beating Donald Trump by 11 points in what is one of the most conservative states in this country, it is clear to me that Donald Trump is not going to be elected president of the United States. Your fellow uh, Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren on Twitter uh, said some tough words against Donald Trump. Among other things, she called him a wannabe tyrant. Do you agree with that? Oh, there's no question but that he has authoritarian uh, tendencies. You know, what really really boggled my mind. And by the way, Anderson, as you know, it's not just me. You got a lot of 
Republicans out there, conservative Republicans, who are looking at this guy and say, what is going on? It's what Mitt Romney uh, and people like that are saying. When he suggests, after one of his supporters um, punches out uh, a, a, a protest and knocks him down, sucker punches him, uh, Trump says, well, you know, I'm giving thought to paying for the legal defense of that guy. When you do that, what you are giving a signal to your supporters is violence is okay. You go around beating up people, we'll be there to support you with legal costs. So I think that does he have a tendency toward authoritarianism and an tendency to encourage violence? I think the evidence is pretty clear that he does. Just a couple more questions. You're urging superdelegates and other voters across the country to back you, saying you'll fare better against Donald Trump. You've talked about that tonight rather than Hillary Clinton. The Clinton camp says in private that you poll better essentially because you haven't been targeted yet by Republicans as a socialist who raised taxes on the middle class. Is that why you're polling yeah. better? Well, no, that's nonsense. First of all, you know, I wasn't born yesterday. And this is not my first campaign. Certainly, it's my first campaign for president. I've run a number of times in Vermont against very wealthy people who have opposition research. They threw a lot of garbage at me. My last election in Vermont, I won by 71 percent. And in this primary process, I got 86 percent from Vermonters who have seen all of the you know, crap that people can throw at you. But I think when you look at a race against Trump, there is no question that we are a much stronger campaign than is Hillary Clinton. We will get all or virtually all of the Democratic support. Not many Democrats will be voting for Donald Trump. But we will do much better than Hillary Clinton with the millions of people who are independents. The millions of people who feel, for whatever reason, uncomfortable with Hillary Clinton. So I think what the polls right. already show, and I think what the evidence is pretty clear, we are the candidate to beat Donald Trump, and I think more and more Democrats are seeing that. One of the impacts you've had on this race is Hillary Clinton has moved toward a number of your positions, from the Keystone Pipeline to Asian trade, even calling on the governor of Michigan uh, to resign. She seemed to do that right before the, the uh, debate in Flint. If, if you could move her on one more policy, what would it be? Look, Anderson, you know, I think the American people know it is not what a candidate says during a campaign. What the American people or what kind of ideas they steal from other people. What is important is what your record is and what your history is. Right now, Hillary Clinton has super PACs that are raising huge amounts of money from Wall Street, the fossil fuel industry, and drug companies. I think most Americans understand that somebody cannot be a serious agent for change when they are so close to some of the most powerful special interests in this country. We have raised money through 5 million individual contributions, averaging 27 bucks a piece. I have spent my entire political life taking on Wall Street, taking on the drug companies, taking on the fossil fuel industry. That is the kind of record that I think the American people and Democrats will look at, and that's why I am confident we are going to do better and better as this campaign proceeds. I saw you on the campaign trail the other day. Uh, you said that you never went to one of Donald Trump's wedding, clearly a reference to uh, Secretary Clinton, who did attend uh, Donald Trump's wedding. Um, should voters take that into consideration, that she was once friendly with Donald Trump, that she received uh, funds from Donald Trump? I think, you know, people have got to take everything into consideration. Look, this is no secret. 
Hillary Clinton is the candidate of the establishment. She is the candidate, the Democratic candidate of the big money interests. She has the support of public officials all over America. What it is also clear is we are running an insurgent campaign. We are the anti-establishment campaign. We are the campaign that is calling for a political revolution that has taken on the billionaire class and Wall Street. And I think as people look at our records, how we raise money, what our views are on income and wealth inequality, who was there first, who was helping to lead that fight, the war in Iraq, fracking uh, on all the public colleges and universities being tuition free, demanding that the wealthy and large corporations start paying their fair share of taxes. Who is calling for the United States to join the rest of the industrialized world for a Medicare for all health care system, guaranteeing health care to all people? That is Bernie Sanders. And that is why we are creating so yep. much excitement at the grassroots level. Uh, Senator Sanders, thank you very much. Good to talk to you tonight. Thank you very much. There you heard from Senator Sanders. How will what we heard tonight impact tomorrow's contest? Much more of our live coverage from the CNN Election Center ahead. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.